Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 154th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we have a very creepy location, probably one of the most creepy locations. In the entire world, Diane? Yes. And that means it might just possibly be haunted as well. And I think this one really can claim to be one of the most creepy places on the planet. It's the catacombs of Paris. Of Paris? Of Paris. So you'll have to excuse our French pronunciations on this episode. I'm sure they're going to be atrocious. And this location was suggested to us by Bob Sherfield. We also have the fourth installment of Tim Prassel's Spectral Edition featuring The Frightened Firefighter, coming up at the end of the episode. Before we get into that, we'd love to have you check out our website, historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. It's a great place to send us your true haunted experiences for the Halloween special. We've had them rolling in. Just wanted to touch on a couple of things with you guys. Not sure if you all heard, but at the Winchester House, they have a newly discovered room. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool, huh, Denise? Very cool. Imagine having a house that has so many rooms that you don't realize that it has other rooms that you just haven't found yet. This one is in the attic space, and it's been boarded up since Sarah Winchester died in 1922. And it more than likely was boarded up in 1906 when that earthquake came through, the one that trapped her in that room. And she thought that evil spirits had possibly caused that earthquake, and so that's one of the reasons why she wanted to have that boarded up. The preservation team found numerous items in the room, including a pump organ. Can you imagine it's got a pump organ in there? A Victorian couch, dress form, sewing machine, and paintings. That new room means that there are 161 rooms that have been found in the mansion thus far. Also want to thank Kalen Cross for including our little history podcast here in his list of great history podcasts that are hosted by women. And this was over on medium.com. Oh, that's very cool. Thank you so much. We have Matthew Herons, who is the artist that made our Haunted Mansion picture, Denise. Well, he has done a special offer for anybody who is a member of the Spooktacular crew that you will get a certain percentage off of artwork that he has over in his Etsy shop. And it's awesome. And if you're into any kind of geeky stuff, you'll love his artwork. And he's also doing some special paintings for October that are inspired by Halloween. And those are only going to be offered exclusively to Spooktacular crew members. So if you have not become a member of the Spooktacular crew, now would be a good time to do that. 
Absolutely. And, and his artwork is just amazing. And w I've seen some of the prints already starting to be put up. And the thing Diane didn't say is these are, you get the original and it's like, Twenty dollars. I, I think it was twenty bucks. Yeah, for an for, original, for an piece, original of piece of art from Matthew. So definitely, I would jump on that one if you like art and you like spooky. And Susie Doomey sent us a comment. I want to make a couple points about the Tower of London and your road trip podcast. Number one, you ain't had no fun till you pull a thorn out of your tire in Ireland in a deserted castle ruin parking lot and all the air goes whooshing out. I won't say who did that, but her picture's over there, and I believe she's pointing at herself. You really just can't call AAA from Katurk. <laughs> no, you can't. Oh, jeez. Number two, I call BS on there being no recorded effects at the Tower of London while waiting in queue to enter. As we were going past a small window, a young boy's voice called out, Uncle, is that you? An obvious reference to the murder of the little princes. So apparently there is something that does make child noises there. The armor of Henry VIII is very interesting as Henry himself got bigger and bigger, evidenced by the largeness of the armor. Notice the size of his codpiece did as well. <laughs> also, there's a memorial to those wrongly executed in the tower, although most were executed over on Tower Hill, not in the tower proper. Just an FYI, if you were in the tower on a Sunday morning, you may enter free of charge and join the yeoman warders in their church service in the chapel where Anne Boleyn is interred. All right, Denise, tis the season... Halloween, meaning we have a lot of people joining us at the Spooktacular Crew. So are you ready for this humongous list? I think so. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular Crew, Noferatu. Hello, Noferatu. Carol Ann. Hey, Carol Ann. Justin. Hey, Justin. Matthew, who spells his name T-H-I-E-U. Hello, Matthew. Armin. Hey, Armin. Eddie. Hi, Eddie. William. Hey, William. Nana. Hey, Nana. Carol. Hello, Carol. Anne. Hi, Anne. Charles. Hey, Charles. Allie. Hello, Allie. Christine. Hey, Christine. Ricky. Hey, Ricky. Rabil. Hello, Rabil. Molly. Hey, Molly. Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Joe. Hi, Joe. Basant. Hey, Basant. Matthew, that spells his name like every other Matthew. Hello, Matthew, that spells your name like every other Matthew. Lori. Hey, Lori. Kim. Hey, Kim. Chuck. Hello, Chuck. Another Carol. Hello, another Carol. That's three Carols. Wow. It's like Christmas. <laughs> Lots of carols. <laughs> Mercedes. Hey, Mercedes. Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Denise. Hello, Denise. Alyssa. Hello, Alyssa. Robert. Hi, Robert. Anne, who spells her name with an E. Anne, who spells your name with an E. And Mike Brown, who is the host of Pleasing Terrors. And hello, Mike Brown. So welcome to all of you. All right, Denise, do you have a headlamp, a flashlight, maybe some water, good pair of walking shoes? I ready? do. You ready to go into the catacombs? I think so. All right, let's do this. Okay. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. 
Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. Cryotherapy is one of the latest health crazes. People claim that it reduces pain, helps with weight loss, improves sleep and athletic performance, and slows the aging process. The participant steps into a cylindrical chamber that leaves only their head outside of the machine. Then supercooled air is blasted all around the body for two to three minutes. The feeling is similar to an ice bath. We're not sure if cryotherapy actually has any of the benefits it claims to have, but we do know one thing. It can kill you. Near Halloween of 2015, Chelsea Ake Salvesion was working at a Las Vegas spa that offered cryotherapy. She decided she would like to enjoy a session after hours. She was alone that evening closing up. She was found frozen to death the following morning by co-workers. She apparently lost consciousness and it was ruled that she died from asphyxia due to low levels of oxygen. Cryotherapy sounds horrifying to us warm weather gals and freezing oneself solid while trying to administer cold therapy certainly is odd. Day in History. On this day, October 12th, in 1609, the children's nursery rhyme Three Blind Mice is published. It was written by a teenage Thomas Ravenscroft. Ravenscroft was an English musician who collected folk music. He was a music theorist as well. The rhyme did not become a part of children's literature until 1842. It is believed that the rhyme has historical and political meanings behind it. The catchy tune speaks of three blind mice, which historians believe refers to three Protestant bishops who served during the time of Queen Mary I of England, otherwise known as Bloody Mary. She got that nickname because she executed Protestants. These bishops were Ridley, Latimer, and Cranmer, and they were burned at the stake. The blindness more than likely refers to the fact that they weren't Catholic and Protestants were considered blind. So that should make it fun to sing along with the kids now. Hello, this is Victoria from victoriaslift.com. When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring, it's terrifying. The past remains with us, and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. Paris is a city of lights, but deep in the darkness, beneath the streets, in the underground, lie hundreds of miles of tunnels that make up a vast ossuary for the dead. These tunnels are dangerous and largely unmapped, with pitfalls and areas filled with water and discarded remnants of the dead. One could easily become lost in the maze of stones and bones. These areas are restricted from public access for good reason. Could there be something down there in the catacombs that is unseen? Are the spirits of the displaced bones now residing within the stones? Is there something evil down in those tunnels? 
Join us as we share the history and hauntings of the catacombs of Paris. And kind of a really fun thing, we always try to check out different pronunciations. And so when we were at Paris at Epcot at, in France, we were getting ready to go through the line. And so Diane says, oh, to the girl who's working there, who's from France, she goes, oh, how do you pronounce catacombs, the ones in Paris? And she looks at her and goes, catacombs? <laughs> I know, I felt like such an idiot. It's because they have a technical name that I'm about to share with you. But she was like, catacombs? And I was like, catacombs? Uh. I was laughing. Ask a stupid question, I guess. Les Carrières de Paris are more commonly known as the catacombs. The name technically means quarries, and that is what this tunnel system originally was before it was given its macabre purpose. We need to rewind back millions of years to study the history of this tunnel system. Paris and France were covered by a tropical sea millions of years ago. The seabed was covered with sediment that covered over everything with lime and eventually became limestone. Much of Paris was built with limestone and it was harvested from these quarries beneath the city. The mining began as early as the first century AD. Structures like the Louvre, the Notre Dame Cathedral, and Place de la Concorde were all built from what has been dubbed Paris stone. A few years before the French Revolution, sickness within the city of Paris was killing many people. Poor sanitary conditions, including how the dead were disposed of, led to the outbreak of disease. The cemeteries in Paris were overpopulated, and the result was bodies unearthing themselves and improper burials. People who lived near the cemeteries were complaining of the stench and becoming ill. Something needed to be done, and King Louis XV issued an edict in 1763 banning burials within the city of Paris. This was not just new burials, it was the past burials as well. The church was reluctant to desecrate graves and refused to move any bodies, so nothing was done at that time. Can you imagine living near some of these cemeteries and the bodies are just piling up? They're not really burying them anymore and they're just rotting right there. I can't even imagine. You know what? And it's interesting because was it Asheville that also ended up with a, a law that you couldn't bury bodies within the city limits? I think a lot of cities started doing this because what happened is well, Paris's problem was they weren't actually burying people on the outskirts of town. I don't know why they didn't do that, because most places that's what they would do is bury people away from the main part of the city. I think with a lot of cities, they thought they had put a cemetery in the outskirts, and then the city built up and got bigger and surrounded the cemeteries, and that's why they ended up moving many of them. I don't think there's too many main municipal areas that have not moved some kind of cemetery at some point. Um, which always leaves bodies behind. Exactly. And that is a very true fact because I think almost every tour we do, that's like, mm -hmm. well, the cemetery was supposed to end here. They tried to move most of the bodies, but not everybody got moved. I'm thinking St. Charles, Asheville, Denver. You just go Savannah, down the list. St. Augustine. Yep, all of them. And then there's the City of the Dead that we talked about in one of our Moments of Oddity, where they moved all of the burials out of San Francisco over onto that island. Tunnels would be mined until they were completely emptied of the limestone and the quarries would then be abandoned. There were miles of unmapped tunnels beneath the city and the king wanted to make sure to shore up those underground mazes beneath the city. Because you can imagine if you've got all this open tunnel system below this city that you're building, not very safe. They were afraid that they'd start having cave-ins and such. Exactly. And we thought sinkholes in Florida were bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. On April 4th in 1777, Louis XVI established the Quarries Inspectorate and made it responsible for the renovation of the tunnels. This fell under the office of the police prefect, Lieutenant General Alexandre Lenore, 
1780, a long and heavy rain caused a wall of the largest and oldest cemetery in Paris, Les Innocents, to cave in completely. The result was hundreds of rotting corpses flowing out of the cemetery into the city. City officials in the church had no choice but to find an alternative for the bones. That's almost like a scene from The Walking Dead. Or I'm thinking uh, Hurricane Katrina. You're thinking more real life. I'm thinking more movie life. But yeah, just all these bodies flowing out. And this was the biggest cemetery that was right there in the center of the city. And they're just piling the bodies up against these walls. And so all it took was this rain to just wear away the bricks. And voila, the wall splits open. At least for the most part in New Orleans, it was coffins that you would see floating by. These are bodies that are just and in all sorts of different levels of decay and bones and... Ugh. Lieutenant General Lenore supported the idea of using the abandoned tunnels as ossuaries. The macabre task of moving bodies began in 1786 when the former Tomasaur quarries were blessed and consecrated. The bones were moved under the dark of night by parades of black-cloaked wagons. It took two years to transfer all the bones from the Les Innocents Cemetery. Bones were moved from the other outer cemeteries over the next few decades. New burials were also brought to the tunnels that were now known as the catacombs. In the beginning, bones were unceremoniously dumped into the tunnels. In 1810, Louis-Étienne de Thury became head of the Paris Mine Inspection Service, and he decided to organize the catacombs. He implemented stacking bones and skulls along the walls, and this same design can be seen today. He also used cemetery memorials to decorate the walls, and archways were built. One of the first visitors was the future king, Charles X, who was at the time Count of Artois in 1787. In 1814, it was felt that the catacombs were fit to be open to the public. Many people who came through disrespected the burials and some would take mementos. So it was decided in 1830 to allow only people given special permission to tour the catacombs. The church had not been happy with any of the touring going on, and in 1833 they demanded that the catacombs be closed from public view. I find that interesting since they put mummified popes and things in their basilicas, but okay. And things like that mummified tongue, <laughs> that still gives me like heebie-jeebies. But they're having problems with people parading past skulls. Okay. In 1850, limited visits were open to the public and those have become more often until our present day, which is almost daily tours that last around 45 minutes. The tour covers less than two miles of the 200 miles of tunnels. Guests are greeted at the entrance with, Halt, this is the realm of death. That would be very cool to go do and very macabre and kind of creepy at the same time. The way I've heard it described is you go down a spiral type staircase, which gets you down to the level where these are at. And then you walk through several tunnels before you get to the bones there's different displays that they have going on down there. Not necessarily artwork, but they'll have exhibitions for certain things. There's a room where they have minerals that they found down in the tunnels. So they have all these little, there's a model of, I can't remember what it's called, but there's some kind of a model that's there of a place. And so there's these little things you can look at. And then you step into the realm of death. And that's where this warning is at. And while it's very macabre, it has a bit of art to it as well. The way that they fashioned this with putting the bones and the skulls up along the walls, some of them are done in the shapes of hearts, X's, 
there's a form to it and an organization to it. It's not just like they piled them up and haphazardly put them there. It's as if they really were trying to make the walls more structured. But it is interesting to think that that is the way that they would build the catacombs rather than putting people in coffins and putting them in the wall or something, which is what normally I'm used to seeing when you're thinking of a catacomb. Usually there's hollowed out areas and they put the coffins and the bodies in those. This is not the case with this. And then you only go through two miles of it and it's only pretty much this area that has all the bones along the walls. The rest of the tunnels just go on into darkness they have stone along the walls. This is a place where urban explorers love to go. And Denise, we call people who go through cemeteries taphophiles. Well, there's actually a term for people who go through catacombs, and it's they're called cataphiles. And they're people who like to go through catacombs, and they have their secret maps that they all share with each other. Because these are restricted areas that you are not allowed to go in. So we'll tell you right here officially don't wander through those tunnels. But there's a lot of people that do. I found an article over on Atlas Obscura where one of their reporters went with some of these cataphiles down into the tunnels and they even took food down there and there's stone tables and chairs that they have set up and graffiti art and it's definitely a meeting place for some people. But there's also roving gangs that sometimes are in these tunnels that will attack and it's an interesting sounding place for sure. Oh, wow. Cemeteries are not typically haunted, but the catacombs are home to so many dead who died in so many horrible ways that it only seems natural that spirits would reside here. People were buried here who had died from sickness and natural death, but others included members of the Swiss Guard killed in the storming of the Tuileries Palace on the 10th of August in 1792. There was a massacre in September 1792, and those victims were placed in the catacombs, and there were those killed by the guillotine. They were transferred there from their original burial pits. There were many bones just dumped without ceremony, and burials were desecrated. These all make for a perfect storm of paranormal activity. This is another one of those locations where it is really difficult to find any kind of haunted experiences. I don't know if people don't like to talk about them, specifically because they've been going through there when they're into areas that they're not supposed to. I don't know if whatever's in there is deep down in the tunnels where most people don't end up going. So maybe some people who've had some very haunting experiences have not been around to tell us about those. And we're going to talk about one of those people right now. Legends speak of talking walls within the catacombs. People have ventured beyond the no admittance signs and one urban explorer took a camera with him many years ago. That camera was found laying in a tunnel, but the explorer was nowhere to be seen. The video made it onto TV on the show Scariest Places on Earth and features a typical urban exploration video of abandoned tunnels. But the explorer's breathing soon picks up, as does his pace. Soon the video drops to the ground and the explorer is seen running from the camera that tapes until it runs either out of tape or battery or both. I watched this video, Denise. We have a link in the show notes if people want to see this. I probably saw it when it was on TV because it seemed very familiar to me. Linda Blair was the host. The narrator was the little lady from Poltergeist that tells Carol Ann not to go into the light. It was supposedly, because at first when I heard the story, I'm like, well, this is probably just some legend or BS, but they treated it like it was the real thing and that they really found this camera, but they never found the guy. And one of the interesting things, I think it might have been on this video, 
is that you hear him talking as if he's talking to someone and getting answered back, which lends some credence to these rumors that people claim that the walls talk. Wow. There are claims that necromancy and dark black magic rituals have been performed in some of the tunnels. Have they conjured something evil? Philiberta Sperrett was the doorkeeper of the Val de Grasse Hospital in Paris during the French Revolution. In November of 1793, he decided to venture into the catacombs to find the hidden stock of liquor. A passage from the hospital led directly to a tunnel of the catacombs, and he used that to enter the ossuary. He carried one candle, which probably lost its light fairly quickly. With a couple hundred miles of serpentine tunnels, it is easy to believe that Philibert became lost. People know that he died down here because 11 years later, his remains were found in one of the galleries and identified by the key ring of the Val de Grasse that he carried. He also had a bottle of liquor nearby. The tragedy of this was that he was near an exit. He was buried where he was found, and his epitaph reads, The memory of Philibert Esperit, lost in this quarry on November 3, 1793, found 11 years later and buried at the same place on April 30, 1804. On the 3rd of November every year, it is said that his ghost appears in the galleries of the catacombs. Zach Baggins visited the catacombs without ghost adventurers. During his investigation, he caught a female voice talking and laughing. There was also an apparition that appeared as a glowing mist moving away from one of the cameras. The misty figure appears to be wearing a cloak. People claim to hear voices, feel as though they are being followed, and some even claim that something has tried to strangle them. Ghost lights and misty images have been captured on film. Hmm. Did I say that it would be cool to go there? I may be rethinking that. (laughs) Of course, when it's Zach Baggins telling you that he's caught something, I don't know for sure, but this was a separate documentary that he made, which I thought was kind of unusual because I didn't realize he would do things without ghost adventures, but apparently this one he did. Hmm. Sonny Bravo on Reddit posted this comment about an experience that his girlfriend had had there. My girlfriend went there a few years ago, but she was only allowed to go in the safe areas. She said she heard a lot of weird noises and footsteps, but was only there for two days. She's not a girl to get scared by the paranormal either. But she told me the tour guide said that if you go past the tourist safety areas, then you're on your own. I asked her if there was any serious dangerous areas that you couldn't go to, and she said yes, there is. I asked, would it be wise to go near these points? And she said, no, it's not. You can get lost very easily. And if you don't know how to get out, you will die down there. So I they don't fool around. No, I can imagine, though, because if you just think just a maze, like when they do corn mazes and how confusing those get, and you just have miles and miles and miles of all these tunnels with no directions, no signs. Well, that's what's weird about the video that that urban explorer made, because it looks like it doesn't show on the video that he's doing it. But you see him pointing the camera down to arrows that are on the pathway that have been formed using bones. So you got your femur and your tibia or whatever, and you're making an arrow. So I don't know if he was making arrows to show which direction he had gone so that he could find his way back out or if other people had gone before him and put the arrows there. Mm. But it's just bizarre that You have to wonder, if you're a little claustrophobic and you fear that you've gotten lost, that might cause you to start thinking that you're hearing or seeing things, which would cause you to drop, you know, back then when this video was made. They're not real cheap nowadays either, but they really weren't cheap back then. You don't want to just drop that and leave it and just take off running. That just seems so weird to me that somebody would just drop their camera and run. Well, unless they were completely scared out of their mind. Exactly. So it it makes you wonder, did he see something? 
the camera didn't pick up anything. It just, you see his feet running off and you hear him splashing through the water and you don't hear anything else. So whatever he saw did not get recorded or is it just he saw something in his mind? What I find most bizarre is if this story is legit, that he would not have been found, no part of him would be found because it's not as if people aren't going down into this area. So did he just run into an area where nobody ever goes? At least his clothing would still be around or something. Unless, I mean, if there's hundreds of miles, he might have just kept going and taken a turn here and a turn there and gotten into an area that nobody's gone to yet. You never know. That just totally freaks me out because that would be, mazes can be fun, but if if you didn't know that you had the ability to get to the end of that maze, I wouldn't want to be in it. No. The catacombs are creepy, but also a great location in which to house the dead. They are protected within these walls. Are some of the spirits of the displaced haunting the catacombs? Is there something evil that has been conjured here? Could something dark be drawn to the place of so much death? Are the catacombs of Paris haunted? That is for you to decide. And as we continue on to Halloween, we have another Halloween-themed type of show for our next episode. This was suggested to us by two of our listeners. They wanted us to take a look at the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery and the Legend of the Headless Horseman. So we're going to look at Sleepy Hollow, the history and hauntings, not just of the cemetery, but of the whole city, because apparently it's one of the more haunted cities in the U.S. At least it makes that claim. It does. That's so shocking, Diane. And we'll be looking at the legend of the Headless Horseman. Not only the specific one that we know from the legend of Sleepy Hollow written by Washington Irving, but there have been some other stories of Headless Horseman throughout history. I think we've talked about a couple of them here on the show before, and I've heard a couple others. So we're going to share some of that as well. And I'd noticed in a little bit of synchronicity, our friends over at Just a Story Podcast, I believe their last episode was on The Legend of the Headless Horseman. So I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet, but uh, it went, oh, we all have the Headless Horseman on our minds, I guess. So if you haven't listened to it, check out uh, Just a Story Podcast. They usually have a really good take on some of these urban legends. And now we have Tim Prassel's Spectral Edition. Welcome to Spectral Edition. I'm Tim Prassel. I confess that I do like to read the ghost reports that allow me to do sort of a character voice, do a little bit of acting. And I have an article here that will let me do exactly that. It was published on April 18th of 1907 in the Spanish Fork Press, a newspaper from Utah. The headline is, Fireman flees from graveyard ghosts. Alone in a cemetery at midnight, he sees weird specters and runs away. St. Louis. Lost for an hour among the tombstones of Calvary Cemetery at midnight, fleeing till out of breath from mysterious white figures that seem to rise up from among the graves, William Carpenter, a fireman, had an experience which he hopes will never be repeated. Members of the fire company still talking about Carpenter's experience look on the whole affair as a joke. He is not quite convinced that the white-garbed figures were not ghosts. Late at night, about half-past ten o'clock, the Baden firemen were aroused by an alarm turned in from a box at Calvary and Florissant Avenues. Their shortest route to the fire was through Calvary Cemetery. At the big iron gates on the Broadway side of the cemetery, Captain Amon and Fireman Carpenter left the hose reel. 
Eamon opened the gates and then sprang to his post on the wagon. Carpenter was left behind to close the gates after the engine. When he had closed the gates, the hose reel and engine were a hundred feet ahead of him, dashing rapidly up the hill. Carpenter ran after the wagon, shouting loudly. He saw the lights of the engine disappear in the distance and started to find his way out of the cemetery. I kept on running, he said to a reporter in telling of his experience, wishing every minute I could get out. All around me were white tombstones. I heard a noise in another direction, and then I saw a white thing. It seemed to rise out of the ground. My hair went up too, I think. Then I did run. I'll admit, I was dead afraid. I just wanted to get out of that place of horrors. I think I prayed. I was damp all over with a cold, clammy sort of sweat. Carpenter wiped his forehead with his handkerchief in memory of the event before he went on. I thought that all the time that I was headed for Calvary Avenue, after a time I saw the light of a streetcar in the distance, and it sort of kept me company. I followed the light, and the next thing I knew I had stumbled and fallen. And there, looking at me, was another white thing. It wasn't as bad as the first, though. I was getting used to the spooks a little. I got up again and ran until I came to a barbed wire fence. I got over the fence without a scratch, and I found I was in Walnut Park, north of the cemetery. All the time I thought I was going south. A policeman told me where I was and how to get back to the engine house. He said we had made a run on a false alarm. I had been in the cemetery an hour. Poor guy. You've been listening to Spectral Edition. I'm Tim Prossel. I have close to 300 of these articles. I post one each Wednesday on my website. It's called The Merry Ghost Hunter. At the same site, you can listen to previously released audio versions of Spectral Edition. The name of that website again, The Merry Ghost Hunter. I hope you stop by. Thanks so much, Tim. Absolutely love those, Denise. Before we let you go, we have a review to share with you from iTunes. Five stars from Nana16727273638202. Good job, Diane. Love. HGB is my favorite podcast. The voices of Diane and Denise are lovely to listen to, and you can tell they take great pride in their work. I love the mix of history and ghost stories, and I've almost listened to all the episodes. What makes this podcast really different is the sense of community they have created. They recently did a meetup pretty close to where I live, but unfortunately I was unable to make it. Hopefully next time they are in the Carolinas, I can be there. Great job, ladies, and keep up the amazing work. Well, bummer. We're sorry we missed you, Nana. And hopefully you, along with all of our other listeners in the Carolinas, are doing okay. We know Mike Brown is in Charleston. And uh, Emily, who had gone on that tour with us, had to evacuate. So hopefully you guys are okay. We know that it's actually worse after the storm because now all that rainwater has to go somewhere and now it's starting to flood all of the cities there. So our thoughts and good wishes are with you guys. Absolutely. We're glad you've listened to this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Kristen Calderon, Megan Commander, Jennifer Bach, and Charlie Hacking. Thanks. 
fan of the show, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you.